0: Hello to all of you out there in podcast listening land. This episode of our Radical Awareness podcast features special guest, Heidi Stemmint. Heidi has Haiti. been practicing yoga for over 20 years, teaching for over 10. But we are not talking to her about yoga per se, we're talking very much about Hannah, Hannah, somatics today. Um, Haiti's really very passionate about moving with ease, which is something that comes from uh, Moshe Feldenkrais, Hannah, somatics. She is a self proclaimed anatomy and physiology geek and very much brings all of this to her teaching style and her communication style. If you have seen her stuff on Instagram, uh, she initially trained here in New Zealand with Contemporary Yoga. She's studied obviously Um she studied also Neurokinetic Therapy, she's in the process of doing her Biodynamic Craniosacral Therapy and uh, also has studied iRest, um, really believes in the power of moving slow and how our body's intelligence to restore and bring balance to itself is possible through awareness. So her yoga classes out there in Auckland uh, combine somatics, breathing, and easeful but powerful movements. The best way to get um, in touch with her, mostly is you find her, her Instagram, <laughs> Hadi Stemund underscore Body Therapies, is that link. So today we chat, like I mentioned, about Hannah Somatics and uh, all of the the magic. Um, that it can bring to the process of awareness and the process of healing. So sit back, enjoy this episode and as always if you do enjoy it feel free to share it on all of your social media channels, Uh, hit the like button, the subscribe button and get those notifications for every time we drop a new episode. The Radical Awareness Podcast with Nicole and John Allen. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Radical Awareness Podcast. We are here with our special guest, Haley Stamond, and we're going to be talking today, mostly about the practice and art of somatics. Now, this word can be interpreted in many different ways. So I'm gonna hand the mic over to you, Heidi, to kind of lead us into your understanding of this word and how you use, how this uh, word is used in the practice that you present.
1: Kia ora, Kia ora. thank you. Uh, a great question. Somatics, what is it? What does the word mean? Um, it's quite a, popular word in the body world at the moment isn't it or movement world Mm. absolutely from yeah so from my experience somatics because i came to the word somatics coming through hannah thomas hannah's work and so the word somatics to me means hannah somatics but i think the word somatics also is a bigger it's like an umbrella term now as well which is great for a field of embodied movement or um, embodied body movement or body work or whatever works probably not a great word for it Mm -hmm. so just an umbrella term that means you're feeling something as you're moving and you're taking notice of that and taking notice of that is making changes in your system
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. noticing we love that word we we took we Use that word a lot. Mm. What do you notice? Do you notice? Notice that you notice something? Do you notice nothing at all? That's still something to notice. All of those kind of wonderful things.
2: Well, it's just huge in the kind of trauma-informed world where we are with the yoga. So it's really nice to kind of see the fusion of what we're speaking mm. about and bringing those things together. So if we go into what is Hanumetrics, yeah, we can talk about that.
0: Yeah. So lead us in and kind of you know you can go into 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 the history, into into how it landed in your life. Um, However, however, it comes to you, but let us in on on the magic of, of, um, of Somatics.
1: Nice. Yeah, and it is it is magic, it is magic. Sometimes you you know, I've done it for many years now, and every time I get on the floor and I take myself through a Somatic movement practice, it's like, wow, something always something different happens, and it always feels like it's really helpful, whatever's happened, and it is a bit of magic. When I taught a class years ago, someone actually said after the class. He said to me, what is this witchcraft? <laughs> yeah. so I, like, when I first lay on the floor, I was like all bunched up and I could feel any, everything. And he's like, by the end of the hour's class, I was just like all flat on the floor. And yeah. I'm like, that's it. You got it. Whatever yeah. it was, you got it. Um, yeah, so there's a bit of history um, from my understanding with uh, Hannah Somatics is Thomas Hannah was one of Moshe Feldenkrais's students. Can you hear there's a bit of drilling going yeah, on? Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just Understand, life, going. life goes yeah. on and, uh, and uh, <laughs> drilling, drilling happens. There's some
2: drilling out west right now, coming
1: yeah. in live. Yeah, in <laughs> yeah. the nice, quiet, palatial Tirarangi and there's some compound drilling going on. <laughs> um, so uh, Thomas Hanna was marvellous, I think, really brilliant thinker. He was one of um, Moshe Feldenkrais' students, who I really, really rate. I love uh, Moshe's approach and philosophy around stuff. And Hannah, in my understanding, was more of a philosopher and took Mm. what Feldenkrais was doing, which was lots of exploring, lots of moving and systematic ways to get freedom in the body. And he sort of hypothesized that if he wanted people to free their minds, he had to get them to free their bodies. Like you're not going to have a free mind if you're walking around with a, you know, shoulder dysfunction or chronic pain which is, you know, for us now in 2023, it's kind of second nature to think like that, but it was probably quite revolutionary to be thinking like that in the 80s and the late 70s. And so Hannah's approach is he took uh sort of explorations and he made them a bit more clinical, I guess is a good word to use, and he added in what's called pandiculation mm. and Pandiculation, the elevator pitch for pandiculation is it's uh, tightening of something that's already tight or a group or a muscle. Uh, It's slow releasing and you're feeling yourself doing the tightening and the releasing to a complete rest or a neutral. And something in that uh, happens where your motor and your sensory cortex and your brain, the part of your brain and your nervous system that's looking after movement and feeling, it feels something, it notices something, that word noticing and it changes it. Mm. And the really cool thing about it is it changes it from within and it changes it to however it wants to change it. It's not like I'm putting my hands on someone and going, actually, your shoulder's up here. I'm going to force your shoulder to be down or I'm going to stretch the hell out of the area. It's the body's it's doing it itself and it's doing as much as it needs, as much as it wants and as much as is comfortable for it. So I came to um, Hannah Somatic's, Uh, probably about eight or nine years ago. It wasn't long after I started teaching yoga. I was in lots of pain. I was having, I had frozen shoulder. I wasn't able to lift my arms up very high. And I thought I'm teaching yoga and I'm getting stiffer. I'm getting tighter. And this is really uncomfortable. And I'm trying to teach this practice to people that I know has got benefit and it should be bringing comfort to my body and something's not working. There's something limiting me in what I'm teaching or what's happening in my system. So My friend was a um, dancer and a movement teacher. And she said, oh, Heidi, I've been doing this stuff. And it's these really funny little small movements. You'll love it. Here it is. And I was like, oh, what is it? I did it. And the first time I ever did it, I can't even remember what I did. I think it was like a shoulder lesson. Um, I got up and I cried after doing the one shoulder because I was like, (laughs) <laughs> oh my God, my shoulder doesn't live up by my ear anymore. And I, it's, just, it's like, and it felt really good to do. It was pleasurable. And I was just totally hooked into it. And I wanted to, I gobbled up every bit of information I could find about it. There was no one teaching it. So you had to try and get your hands on recorded stuff. I used a lot of Annette Banniel's stuff, who was one of Felt in She was the, god, the goddaughter yeah. of him, I believe. Um and I just picked up every bit of literature I could find, internet, books, library, and just dove down this um Hannah Somatics kind of uh, rabbit hole, which was really great. Freed my body up, started teaching it in my yoga classes. It was like this missing link to yoga for me. It was like, why is how, how, everyone needs to know about this? That teaches yoga. This is going to benefit everybody's body. And yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. And I met um, one of my colleague and a teacher, Sud Sutherland, in Tauranga a few years back, and we've been exploring this stuff together. And he's taught me so much and just really pleased to have him um, in my life. And we now co-teach together and just Mm -hmm. kind of rolling it out. And the differences that I see in people's bodies coming to my yoga classes or my somatic classes are incredible, and to have this tool for yourself that you can use when you get into trouble, if you've done too much or you are stressed, And it's so simple. It just is. It's like a gift. It really is a gift. Um, somatics I can't put it any other way.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd oh. be pretty a broken, tight person without that in my life.
2: Mm. Really love that. It's always, you know, with a lot of these things that it comes to us through, through our sort of biggest pain and adversity. And I think it's, a lot of people who have found somatics or this type of more subtle work, especially any type of movement with awareness <laughs> tends to come when we hit some form of rock bottom and it's how we you know, educate or it becomes more of preventative care of actually adding these things in. But there's this really big challenge of somewhat selling it to people of, well, this practice is such a beautiful maintenance, but then can be used, you know, when you do need it for that point of survival and how we can talk about it to illustrate why you would spend time lying on the floor, being really subtle. Uh, and, yeah, aware. subtle. and I think you touched on something, mm. you know, you said it's, it's pleasurable movement. Mm. And if we can just talk about that a little, cause I know that, you know, being movement teaches ourselves, it's, it's hard to use this word of what is pleasurable movement and what is, I need to do movement that creates pain. You know, like I can feel my muscles. I've got, I've got Dom's the next day and all of these sort of, we're up against some interesting, um, Thought forms and perceptions around exercise, movement, health, well being, and if there's no pain, am I really gaining everything? And and what does it mean if I'm just lying on the floor and experiencing pleasure in my movement? And for you, was that an easy thing to overcome? Like, did you jump straight into, hey, it's pleasurable and I'm having a good time? And do you face that challenge with students who maybe don't understand how to experience pleasure in their bodies when it comes to movement practices?
1: Mm, and it's a really interesting cultural and Hannah talked about this, the cultural bias towards do more, do more to get more, no pain, no gain. Yeah. You've got to push, you've got to force. And that I, I think everything has a place mm-hmm. and there's definitely a place for, you know, getting doms and working out and doing, you know, that kind of stuff is absolutely because our bodies are designed to move in all those different ways the thing is, is learning to pandiculate and learning to do somatics is going to make you better, stronger, and softer with everything else you do. So if you want to play tennis, you're going to be a better tennis player. If you want to lift weights, you're going to lift weights better because the nervous system becomes more efficient, right, through this work. So slowing down is really, really hard for most people. And to feel – I think you have to encourage people – to understand how how I think the nervous system works and what how I kind of have experienced it in my own body by doing things in a slower way, you're giving the muscle, you're giving contractile tissue, you're giving the nerves time to feel and notice. And by doing that, they're building up more powerful patterns in the body. And then if you need to move quickly, you can move quickly, but there's efficiency to the movement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how you sell it to people is you say, hey, if you want to move quick and you want to get strong, you've got to learn how to get soft and you've got to learn how to get slow. So your body's got time to work that out. And the example you can use is look at a baby. It goes from, you know, not crawling, rolling, to crawling, to moving. And this takes a long period of time and it's done slowly so that the brain has time to learn, which is in somatics, we call it somatic movement education. It's an education for your system. Uh, and it's educating itself by moving slowly. So when I need to get up and I need to run or I need to, you know, pick up something really heavy, my brain's got access to all of the muscle contraction. It's not holding a muscle at 50% or whatever it is. So when I go to use it, it's I haven't got the full power available to me in my system. If I get soft, if I pandiculate my body can let go of some of those chronically tight muscles. So then there's full power, there's full efficiency when I need it. And I think the way people, people like it is because you can explain all this to it. And it's like explaining to someone how to ride a bike is just get on the bike and ride it. This experience is really important. So people will lie down or they'll come in with, you know, lower back muscles are a really classic one. People have really stiff lower backs. They lie on the floor and their lower back's got this big curve in it. You take them through an arch and a flatten. It feels too simple, mm. but simple normally is what really yeah. works. Um, they've felt something going on. They lie there afterwards and they go, Oh my God, my lower back feels so much better. Mm -hmm. I want to repeat that because I've got something from it. It's not like I need to go to the gym for three months before I get abs or whatever it is. It's like the effects with somatics are immediate because the nervous system organizes stuff immediately, you know, just the reflex patterns are immediate. So release can be immediate for some people and it is against cultural norms and it is a bit counterculture, but, I've always been someone that if everyone else is walking that way, I'll walk the other way and check <laughs> yeah, out what's happening back there. Yeah. Um, so that's easy for me. But for some people, and I know some people, and they say I can't do this stuff because it's too slow. Mm-hmm. I just can't pay attention. And that's, that's fine. We, we want to lead the horse to the water, and the horse decides if it wants to drink. Uh, the information's there, the, the stuff's there. But some people aren't ready for it. But most people are so happy to be out of chronic pain Mm. And tightness in their body that it's a no brainer that they'd want to keep doing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the one of the terms that I um, I really love um, that I think comes from Thomas Hanna is um, sensory motor amnesia. Is that a, is that a Thomas Hanna thing?
1: And that is Thomas Hanna. That's um yep sm sma yeah. There's two yeah. smas. There's sensory motor awareness, mm. which gets wow. you out of sensory motor amnesia. And amnesia is a funny word because it's, I guess it's, you know, some of this language is coming from 30 or 40 years ago, like education. So it's a bit more formal. Um, but so the amnesia comes from, it's like you we call sensory motor amnesia. So the good example is someone's got one shoulder that's lifted up higher than the other. You look in the mirror, you can see in yourself that you've got one shoulder lifted up higher, but you've got no idea how to get that shoulder down. You could pull it down. But that's just putting another pattern into your body, right? And as soon as you stop thinking about it, the body lifts the shoulder back up to where it wants to have it, that pattern. So sensory motor amnesia would say that the brain, it's not that it's forgotten, but it's using a pattern for those shoulder muscles or whatever area or whatever structures there that's no longer serving the function for that area. So the person might have been carrying a heavy bag around and those shoulder muscles needed to lift up. Um, this is part of what's called a trauma reflex is anything that comes up through a shoulder or one side of the body. They might've had a sprained ankle or waist muscles might've contorted a bit. And so the body's kind of lifted one bit up. And so sensory motor amnesia is you can't feel what's, you can feel what's going on, but you don't know how to get yourself out of it. Yeah. So Through Hannah somatics, we'd want you to feel that there's some tight muscles somewhere contributing to this, and it could be anywhere in the body. More often than not, Hannah's theory was in the somatic center, which is the waist, the front, the back, respiratory diaphragm, pelvic diaphragm, so that kind of cylinder. Have a feel what's going on. Notice there's some tight muscles. Tighten them even more. Slowly release them, and then your brain goes oh, I don't need to be holding all that stuff that tight. That's inefficient. I want to come back to an efficient way you've just shown me to be. And it may keep the pattern or we may need to repeat the pattern a few times. Normally, if you get into a bit of stress or you get busy or lots of stuff's going on in your life, some of the old patterns come back because they're really well-worn in your sensory motor cortex. And so the question lots of people ask me is, how often do I have to do this stuff? And my answer is, well, how often do you go to sleep? How often do you drink water? You do it, um, hopefully, every day or, you know, at least every day. You want to be doing your somatic practice or getting on the floor and just taking yourself through something 5, 10, 15 minutes most days to keep yourself at a maintenance balance because we live life and stuff comes into the system, right? If you're a bit more chronic stuff, um, you do maybe specific exercises for it. But over time, your brain learns something and it changes something. And those patterns, they remain there, but there'll be better patterns that the brain wants to use for the area movement patterns.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've definitely benefited from that exact thing. And, and it's my, the arch and flatten, specifically lying on your back, moving the pelvis in that way, moving the spine in that way, um, is my go-to if I can't sleep nice so i get up out of the bed just lie on the floor down next to the bed do the arch and flatten and it really can feel and notice the nervous system response it's like mm. okay whatever tension was there that was keeping my mind spinning or keeping keeping me awake actually melts away it's really quite fast and it only takes like two or three repetitions and that's that's sometimes enough yeah, sometimes mm. it might be five or six, but most of the time two or three, and then I'm like, okay, good, done. And I go back to sleep reasonably quickly. It's um quite a magic little thing, That word magic again.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so what you're know what you're doing is you're noticing your brain changing itself, right? Mm. So neuroplasticity. It's like I can't sleep, who knows why? You could, you know, pick out of a million reasons why. You get on the floor, and we prefer to do it on the floor because it's a harder surface, so there's more feedback rather than in the bed. You pandiculate your back muscles and probably lots of other things at the same time in your system, and it's almost like your brain sees itself or sees the body because feeling really is the language of the body, right? It's that's Everything's a feeling in your system. And so it feels itself, and it goes, oh actually, this is you've showed me something that feels like a better or more pleasurable, more pleasant place to be, and your brain's a sucker for pleasure. It wants to follow what feels easy in your system, and it goes, oh, okay, and then something happens. I don't know what it is, but when you do Hannah Somatics, your brain becomes quite a different place to live in, and this is, I guess, what Hannah was getting at when he said, if I want to free people from society and culture, then they have to free their bodies first, and something – the body becomes different the brain same same right body brain but the cortical processing becomes different so we are different people and we're more relaxed people and softer people
2: mm. oh, that, softer people you know and you think so much of of conflict and firstly that we experience is just not having that softness but you're so right you know the body actually mm. has soften before the mind can. And when we're very hyped up, and it's all of this sympathetic kind of go, go, go action, to be able to soften the body can be that really, that can be so confronting in itself, because it's such an unfamiliar place to go to. Mm. And we use, I mean, we've only done, you know, very minimal training with you in the level one HANA And even it's generally just the arch and flatten that we go to or thread into classes, and especially in slower practices. And it's amazing just sort of watching that, that time of people coming in wired up, and then just using something so simple to allow so much change so quickly to then go into, say, more of a yoga practice. But this idea, this approach of somatics, just does have the magic to really change um, the nervous system of where people are turning up. It is very powerful, and then being able to bring things in. So do you find that you, in your classes, you're using the kind of Hana somatics with yoga, or do you keep them relatively separate?
1: Do you find that they feed in? Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I bring it in because I think it's I'm doing a disservice to people in my yoga class mm-hmm. if I'm not teaching this at the beginning and the end of the class. Yeah. And I'm so biased towards it that the principles I'll bring into everything. You know, you could be in a really strong yoga posture, warrior three or something like that, but it's the somatic principle of, hey, only stay there until it feels like you've done enough. Yeah. Uh, you know find work up to it and it's doing you know so we've done a whole lot of things before we get there but even in really powerful postures you've got this somatic principle of listening to your body making sure you're not forcing anything it might be feeling like there's a lot going on but that's still not i'm not forcing or taking myself past the point of where my body feels like it can support itself in the movement um yeah so preferably It is my preference to teach just pure somatics. But the issue you have there, unless you're really lucky to have the same people coming along to your class each week, or I quite often just run it as a course, is it's really hard to have new people learning all the stuff all the time. So it's easier. (laughs) I'm like you. I normally just arch and flatten at the beginning of the class, which is, I mean, these are the most powerful, most strongest muscles are going through the pelvis and into the legs. So we're picking all of them up. It's improving the pelvic diaphragm. It's improving breathing. And these are all things that complement yoga practice mm. as well. So I just I see it as a no-brainer. And when I teach people Hanasomatics to teach other people, my big thing is know, it doesn't matter if you're teaching Hanasomatics or yoga or whatever it is, know what you're teaching and know why you're teaching it. Mm. Explore it yourself so you really know it, and then you can put it anywhere you like but don't mash things across each other. Keep them kind of pure, but keep them pure in the way that you're understanding what you're doing. And an arch and a flat is still going to be valuable for someone in a yoga class, but I'm going to say it'd be more valuable for them if it was in a pure somatics class, because yeah. we're going to be doing a whole lot of pendiculation after that as well. Yeah. But there's still these benefits to it. And if you can get someone to understand that slowing down, and doing these really feeling quite simple little movements and repetition, and then get them to feel there's been a change in your system. Lovely, lovely. It's like then they can, this will start to feed out into other parts of their life. And that's that softening and that yielding thing that might start to happen where someone goes, Oh man, I've been doing the gardening, right? And I, my back, you know, is really sore. Oh, I lay down on the floor and I did some of those weird pelvic things you showed us. <laughs> and then I lay there for a bit and man, I felt better again. And it's like, so you've just worked out that your system's got, it's created the problem, but it can create the solution for you. And that's giving someone the power of, you know, you don't need a hundred different body therapists. They're all great. But if you can lie on the ground and do something really simple and it gets you out of pain, that's uh, a pretty amazing to be able to give people and to be able to you know let them be introduced into as well
2: very amazing now i know for myself and it's coming to the workshop and and doing a lot of it in a day and other friends who have done you know you first come to the stuff when you're not used to it and having a lot of things in the body and patterns and everything of feeling headachy nauseous or very overwhelmed by emotion that you don't really understand um just like that can happen in yoga. But can we speak a little bit to, to why this happens? Like the sort of symptoms that come up and that, is it this process like you were touching on the principles of, you know that's too much, and especially in a, a training container, you know, it's like, oh, actually I needed to stop, but I wasn't really listening to my body in that sense of, hey, this is too much. And is it a common response? And, and yeah, what what do you say about it, I guess?
1: Mm, it's really common especially when you te- in a training environment we're doing like no one's pan- going to want to be pandiculating for two hours a- three hours a day right it's, <laughs> this is medicine too much eh? it's too much yeah, Your body, yeah, yeah. you know it needs to get up and do its normal thing um and it'll happen when people first start coming to classes as well and because of the cultural bias of we've got to do something to get something or i've got to do something big to feel something mm-hmm. is we quite often call that over efforting. Yep. And, you know, I, me and all of the things I might know, I still get on the ground and I over effort in some movements and I mm-hmm. catch myself doing it. And I'm like, actually, Haiti, stop going fast. Stop thinking about what you're having for lunch. Stop trying to do something to get something and just enjoy the process of what's happening in your body right now mm-hmm. and give yourself time. So it's really, really common that there can be, especially, uh, you know, there's that issues in the tissue saying that as you're pandiculating and your body's letting go of some chronically tight muscles or things that have been held in a certain way for a while, there will be memories or feelings or emotions that come up with that. And that's we see that all the time on our training environments. And so something nice that Sud says, and I've picked it up as well as he says, gives when we have our integration period, so we do the movements and we have a little rest before we do some more, those are really important, that you give space to whatever else is in your system. It's We're not just structure, right? Mm-hmm. We are complex beings with lots of things that have gone on in our lives and things can come up. And sometimes people can get, if you're releasing some chronically tight muscles, there's going to be other parts of your body that have been used to that. And from a structural point of view, they they might, might get sore or they might get tighter or mm-hmm. things might get stirred up before they release. And that is all part of the process of learning about yourself and actually learning to go maybe a bit slower and doing less as well, which again is counterculture to do less, to get more space mm-hmm. or get more release or whatever it is that you're kind of going for. So it's really helpful if you can get, Clinical sessions where some you get a teacher to put their hands on you one-on-one and they take you through show you the means whereby and the body feels that and it can pick up on it rather than for some people if they're in a real, you know, lots of chronic tightness or they've had stuff going on for a while, it's really hard for the body to feel certain areas. So we can use our hands, put them on people, show the body and give more sensory feedback. And it's the same with ourselves. We can put our hands on ourselves and we do in lots of somatic movements, especially the breathing movement. And we're giving feedback back to ourselves about what's happening, rather mm. than having to use inner a kind of sensory pro-perception feedback, which like you'd know, coming from more of a trauma field, it's really hard for some people to feel their bodies. I mean, I used to teach at a drug and rehabilitation center and they loved Hannah Somatics. And one day, it's the story I tell everyone, so you've probably heard it before. Um, we we're doing it, and the guys, someone stood up, and he was like, holy swear word. I won't swear. <laughs> very very restrained on me. I've got an arm. I've got an arm. And I'm thinking, everyone's like, bro, are you okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, you've got an arm. What's What does that feel like? And he's like, swear word, awesome. And he'd never, he'd never felt his arm. And it's like, what, you know, like you can't even, I can't even imagine that, but he's living in a body where he's not feeling anything. And all of a sudden he's pendiculated some shoulder muscles or whatever we were doing and his brain's gone, holy shit, there's my arm again. I can feel my arm. And, you know, I don't know what changes that might make in the system, but if you can feel yourself more holistically... Um, you're probably going to make better choices out in your life about what you do and what you put into your body and how you act with other people as well.
2: Yeah. And it's just amazing. Like I say, it can be such a, a challenge in the perception of how we all live, those of us who inhabit our bodies. It's like it's so hard to imagine that somebody does not inhabit their body and what that actually feels like. And it is this this journey of what like you said before, you know getting to know yourself, which is very much what yoga is as well, and we can see these similarities coming together. Mm-hmm. But mm. that, that can also be such a shift in worldview mm. of like we're here to actually get to know who we are and to inhabit our bodies in a positive and kind of loving way, right? A compassionate way. Mm. But it is so foreign in the worldview of, of what that is rather than I'm going to move my body to create some goal as opposed to it's kind of like going on a on a lunch date but with myself just to get to know me and what mm. that is. I've got arms and legs and interesting you know my own journey I never realized I wasn't living in my legs until I started living in my legs and talk about this with a lot of students and they're like oh same you know and and this bizarre moment where you're like "I, I actually wasn't there I just used to be kind of up here and to feel my legs it's the most exciting thing but I think I walk different in my life I experience my life I want to make better choices because I live in my legs as opposed to the younger life when I did not and it is, it accidentally happened through neuroplastic change and kind of coming in and saying, oh, here, here I am, I'm allowed to be here and, and do the things that I wanna do. So, so much power to bringing awareness to what we're doing and this process of getting to know ourselves and how valuable it is, but how strange it can be to try and explain it mm. to someone who has no idea what we're talking about, because it all sounds a bit out here where actually it's an incredibly embodied physical process
1: that's um yeah and it's the th- the thing suds and i always say is trust the process mm. it's like trust like trust that thomas hannah worked it out and he's done some re- you know just trust follow trust the process don't have to get smarter than it or bigger than it just get on the floor pandiculate sit in a chair pandiculate your shoulders whatever it is trust the process and trust that your body's always got your best intentions at heart, right? Even though you might have chronically tight muscles, it did it all for a really good reason to keep you moving through life. And it's so it's just, and it's like giving yourself a break as well. And just kind of being kinder to yourself and going, okay. That's my body is kind of intelligent and it did all these things to keep me upright and moving through space. And now I can give it some stuff back and trust that process. Just, nice and consistent practice do it in a way that feels gentle pay attention go slow and things will start to change and they should be really good things that start to change
0: yeah and it was i think will, will, wilhelm reich who called it armoring. and i think um from what we understand about the kind of the lineage of practitioners there's there's a connection between reich's ideas um and the way he thought about things that that passed down to to Feldenkrais, and that passed down obviously to Thomas Hanna in that way, um, and he had this this idea of armoring. He did use in a not a not necessarily a negative or positive way, but this this neutral idea of that armoring is such an important process for the human to protect themselves from the madness of the world, however you perceive mm. the madness to be. And that taking off the armor is such a a slow and cautious process.
2: But it's a process of trust, right? You mentioned that word like about four times just before. And it's like trust. We need this trust, right? And from the trauma perspective, the biggest thing that's happened is trust of the self has been eroded away and, you know, through all sorts of different experiences and not necessarily doesn't have to be big trauma or anything, but just when we think about children and how we're raised and the systems that we're in. A lot of times we're disconnected from trusting our own basic needs. You know, well, I'm hungry now. No, you can't eat now. Well, I need to go to the toilet now. No, you can't leave the classroom now. Mm -hmm. All of these things that happen just little slowly (laughs) eroding away our sense of self-trust. Then we turn up to this practice because, say, we've experienced chronic pain or illness or just not feeling great in our bodies. And then we're lying on the floor and we're going on this this journey to trust, one, the process, but to trust our bodies again. And I just, anybody who's considering, you know, trying it is to know that building trust, just like in any relationship, takes time with ourselves when it's been eroded, which wasn't necessarily our faults or, you know, our parents. It's not about blame. It's more recognizing that it does get taken away through young life and it is a process of slowly bringing it back and knowing that it's probably the most worthwhile thing we can do you know is to to build that trust and that i think this practice and the way you're talking about it is very much speaking to bringing back trust within the self, and then trust within the world right trust trust mm-hmm. here first to then be able to experience trust outside of ourselves to go and do those other things we want like playing tennis or weightlifting or being a lawyer i don't know <laughs> um but this is is the center. And I know that, I don't know, I'm assuming that Thomas Hannes spoke about that kind of moving from the center. I'm not sure of the right words with that. You said it before.
1: Yeah. He also talked about like that armoring, he called it somatic fixation yeah, that yeah. would become fixated in certain shapes uh, to move through the world. So the classic one is, you know, he um, if someone's had like heart disease or something that they'll, you know, be, pull in around the heart as a structural support or safety and like you're mentioning trauma and um, big T little T whatever you know emotional physical injury creates mistrust in your body if you've had a sprained ankle you're going yeah. I don't know how to use my leg or my hip and I'm scared I'm going to create some pain like someone just said to me after yoga this morning uh, she's moving away and she said it's been so nice you've allowed me to create trust back into myself and I know what to do through movements now that feel okay for me and I wasn't sure and I was didn't really know how to move after having some injuries and it's like great that's such a important part of rehabilitation for injury or for illness is moving back out into the world because we've all got to live in the world and we live life in these stresses and that's all part of it and that's part of life but to have something where we can come back to come back to ourselves and be able to get back to neutral is what um hannah talked about a lot as well he talked about a somatic center yeah mm-hmm. which was yeah which was that sort of like belly muscles waist muscles back muscles diaphragm at the top diaphragm at the bottom mm-hmm. um and when you look at the homunculus man you know the which yeah. is there's new models of that now uh, you can see that that area in our body doesn't really get a lot of sensory uh, you know feedback to it. So his theory was that we go after that part first, the muscles there because normally they can clear up places in the periphery, and it's still if the periphery's not there, then we've got places we can pandiculate our feet or our hands, you know we can go after these places. um our eyes are a really big one. But this muscles and the structure in the center is the center of the body, like it's called. So we go after the, that place first and it can clean up a lot of other patterns. And he uh, traditionally always would go after the back muscles first. So he'd go with the green light reflex, which is more of having tight back muscles. Um, and that C10, which is more of like a kind of sympathetic response, right? Like that extensor tone standing upright, you know, busy, I'm kind of out there in life, um, oh, and now I've got these really chronically tight back muscles and I've pulled my back or something. And whatever for his theory was, he, he believed, and I probably believe it as well working with people, is the back muscles are really strong, right? The body's kind of looking after you by keeping you upright. So if we can bring some more awareness there, some more ease and some more space, we're going to create a lot of other changes around the body as well, just by... Getting sensory motor awareness over our back muscles.
0: Mm. Oh yeah, mm. it it sounds similar um, to how uh, Thomas Myers de- describes the the deep front line or the deep container that they're they're a very similar kind of structural thing. But what what Tom Myers includes is the is up into the up into the tongue. Are there any kind of somatic movements that relate to the to the kind of working with the tongue and that kind of and Yeah, of way.
1: absolutely. So I mean, the reflex patterns Thomas Hannah worked out was the green light reflex, red light reflex, trauma reflex, and everyone, people go, can I be more than one? And it's like, congratulations, you're human. You probably are more than one. You get classically some people walk in, you think, man, this is going to be easy. You're just such a green lighter. These back muscles, um, but we know that the head because it, normally we look at the reflex patterns standing. So the head always has to look at the horizon, right? Or look forward to take you forward in life um, because we what's the most important movement, breathing, and then probably walking for humans. And so these neck muscles are completely involved yep. and tongue position will be involved as well. And me being me and the bit of the physiology and anatomy kind of uh, freak I am is I pendiculate my tongue and I've, you know, and there's movements where you can pendiculate your neck muscles just by themselves. Um, and it's really powerful and apparently Feldenkrais near the end of his um, life he said I'm just going after the eyes and the hands now and the eyes especially because of how much space the brain gives to them that if you can change the eyes and the muscles around the eyes everything changes in the body and it might be a really simplistic way to look at it but when you do eye movements and if you've ever done Feldenkrais eye lessons they are so incredible. You just get up, and all you've done is move your eyes back and forth for an hour, and you get up, and your whole body's changed. It's so I think there's really something in going after stuff that's closer to the brain around the head and the neck because what's close to the brain, the brain really listens to, right? We've got the big nerves heading out through that area, especially our favorite nerves, the vagus nerves, yeah. <laughs> um, which, you know, if there's tight muscles there, they're going to be getting pissed off and they'll be sending, you know, inefficient signals back and forth so yeah go after the tongue by all means give it some attention yeah
2: oh but it's so interesting with the eyes, with the eyes i mean yeah. especially cuz there's a lot of that in the yoga tradition of you know practices with the eyes um and i same thing like if i do with the eyes get super nauseous you know all the tension all of that sort of stuff and i've seen it with other people when trying to to work with them and i'm just like oh my gosh my reaction to you saying an hour of the eyes i'm like I want to throw up already. A lot. You know, yeah, um, but
1: what what are they? What are you doing over the Hour, you're going slow. You're only doing what feels comfortable. You taking breaks. You're doing the somatic principles. You're not like doing power eye movements. And and that's and it, the eyes will tell you if you because you can't lie to your eyes. Like if you're trying to effort or push the eye movements, it's not going to work out well. Yeah,
0: I mean,
2: I am like, I'm in. (laughs) I'm like, that's what I need. You know, you do not know it it like thing. I'm like, I have to be moving like about a, yeah,
0: my my per millimeter time. Yeah, and (laughs) well,
1: that's that brings us to a good point. Is if people, if you can't do the movements, you can imagine yourself doing them, Mm -hmm. and the brain doesn't really care what's imagined and what's actually done. It's if you Mm -hmm. can just imagine moving smoothly or imagine moving gracefully. Your body normally starts to pick up on that and does start to do that. So use your imagination. Is there? It's available.
2: <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Hana. Yes, me and my eyes. <laughs> <go> <laughs> and <you understand. laughs> now, can we just can you just clarify uh, verbally right now the principles of Hanismetics? Hanismetics.
1: Yeah. So go slow,
2: guys. Go Pay slow. slow. Go, slow. <laughs> go slow. Go slow. Pay
1: attention. Yeah, Because as soon as we pay attention, our brains are right there with us, right? So this Feldenkrais was really big on this paying attention. Go slow, pay attention, enjoy the movement. Mm. So it's not like you're like, oh God, I've got to lift my shoulder up and down 10 more times. It's like you're actually enjoying what you're doing. You're trusting the process and you're taking breaks between the movements. Mm. Yeah. And that's probably, there is a whole lot of others, but they are the ones, if I teach a somatic class, I probably sound really boring. I repeat that so many times, but when you're doing when you're doing somatics and someone else is talking to you through an audio or you're getting taught, it's, something happens in your brain and you go into a really, it's almost like a childlike mind. And it's a really, you're in quite a simplistic place where you don't need too many instructions and you don't need too many words. And just to have those reminders of go slow, pay attention, take breaks when you need them, whatever the other one was, I can't remember it right (laughs) now. (laughs) That's so important because you forget because you're in the movement and because quite often we're in our own sensory motor amnesia and that's like, oh, that's right, there I am trying too hard again. Yeah,
0: mm. it's not necessarily yes. feeling good that right now.
1: Yeah, It's not necessarily feeling good. And some people say, you know, some of the bigger movements like backlift, and they go, well, this is feeling like I'm doing a lot in this movement. It doesn't feel like I'm just doing a small movement. It's hard. But yeah. still, it's a harder movement. Yeah, it's a big movement, but we want to be doing it in a way that feels like we're not efforting, we're not pushing into the movement. Yeah. And I think a big uh, one is you've got, you're teaching your body to have control over an area again. So mm-hmm. through the movements, we want to feel that we've got sensory control over the movement. We're not just kind of flopping the arm down or moving quickly. So, yeah, go slow, pay attention, and enjoy the movement. Yeah. So, so kind of
2: really-
1: so simple. Like yeah. 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 And what a, imagine taking that out into your life. Yeah. Well, yeah. Enjoy life, pay attention, and go slow yeah it's like it's kind of like oh yeah wow this is it's i nice. can use this out of my life
0: yeah it's a great reminder
2: and it is funny how much we use that actually in classes you know yeah. and, and and seeing the influence and how it kind of comes in because i know when working especially small classes or just one-on-one this idea of oh, but could you just do a little bit less you know can you what, what if you just did less or we went a little bit slower and then someone's like ah oh, I oh, yeah i get it you know, and how quick overwhelm mm. can happen in the system where it's like, I'm trying to go bigger. And then it's, I think the default of sort of bypassing attention is to go faster. Mm, and then we slow course, down yeah. and I think people are scared of slowing down, but in, in actual fact, when we do, it's like, oh, oh, look, I I'm here and I, I can do this, you know? And again, it's always, I'm so fascinated with the perception shift and how important perception and actually cognitively understanding something as well as putting it in the body can have this really holistic kind of, um, effect on like oh now i know how to do this so i take that empowered Mm. approach to my own
1: well-being and it's and also letting people know it's okay to be confused yeah and to not and to not go i took me like three months to feel my waist muscles in a side bend yeah you know teacher oh there's nothing tightening there i have no waist muscles and so it's like giving yourself it's okay to be confused and it's okay not to feel stuff your body depending on how long those patterns have been there it might take you a couple of months to get a sense of your back. You know, like, so this is all, this is part of the process. Trust the process with this stuff. Doesn't have to, I get up off the floor and everything's gone out of my system after 15 minutes and I'm off. That might happen after a few years, but probably not because we're living life. So I think just and don't judge yourself through the movements, messing them up, getting them wrong, going fast, over-efforting. This is all teaching you something about yourself. And so it's just the exploration. Get on the floor and just explore some stuff and have fun. That was crisis big thing is have fun, explore. No true learning happens unless we're actually having fun. Otherwise we're just memorizing someone else's ideas. When we have yeah. fun it becomes our own ideas.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Master. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good such Yeah. A quote. yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, what a yeah, clever. Clever, clever people that we're able to take their stuff and i think hannah would be really pleased with someone like myself i hope so um taking his stuff and exploring it and adding on and taking it out onto yoga and you know it's a living thing right it's evolving yeah. and it's living
2: i think he would be very proud of you Haiti. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're an amazing teacher, and your passion, and you know, like you say, you do love the spine and anatomy and physiology, and I know you could talk about it for days on ends. Uh, if you don't already follow haiti on social media, I highly recommend it. It's very entertaining.
0: What is your What is your social media? It'll be in the link in the, in the show notes. But what is your? Yeah, social just
2: just media search now? my
1: name. It's under haiti Stem and Body Therapies because I do too many things now, so I can't yeah. just say yoga anymore. It's, I'm yoga, it's tennis, somatics it's neurokinetic therapy i'm studying to be a cranial sacral therapist as well but the cool thing about all the stuff i do is it all overlaps and it's all about actually doing the same stuff but just coming at it in different ways um and again if you do a lot of stuff just be clear what you're doing eh? and don't mashing stuff too much together gets a bit messy so it's really nice to have, you know, if you're doing cranial sacral therapy, that's what you're doing. If you're doing somatics, that's what you're doing. But it's just giving you more tools to use, I think, um, to get first and foremost myself out of pain uh, and discomfort. But I really like helping other people to live a life in a body that feels really good to live in, and it's possible.
2: Awesome. Yeah. And so we're really excited because you're going to be coming to our studio and running a workshop, which is awesome in October. Um I think there's one spot left
0: yeah. <laughs> at this
2: point, but we are.
0: If you are interested, send us, then you can um, send us a, a message via Social media any form via email studio raw yoga if you're interested in the workshop. Even if it is sold out, if you send us interest, we'll put on we'll another put on
2: one. And we say that, but we're hoping Haiti would want to do another one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> of course. Of yeah. course.
2: And if otherwise there's willing, she...
1: willing bodies, there's a willing teacher. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> otherwise she's there right now, out at Yoga West, where most of your stuff is based, eh? Because you're out west.
1: Yep. Yep. Come and see us in Tiradangy. Um, I'm really happy to pe- see people one-on-one. I use a space in Avondale as well. I mean, I think there's benefits for being one-on-one with people, but there's also benefits for being in a group as well because I understand for some people one-on-one money-wise or whatever or just uh, it can feel a bit overwhelming and it can feel yeah. safer just to slide in a in group class and start to kind of go, oh, what's all this slow stuff on the floor she gets us doing? And I get up and I feel pretty good afterwards
0: mm. yeah awesome love that awesome, awesome anything else i don't think we've got any other little mm, okay. questions on the list Yes, yeah.
2: beautiful thank you yeah. so much i just love the way you talk about it and explain it it is just so embodied in every part of you and i'd love to here you talk all day, you know, but really, I think it's beautiful work, and what you're doing is beautiful, and that so many people could also benefit if it's what they're looking for. Because sometimes we don't know what we're actually looking for, right? Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and any, I do. Any
0: final, um, word, any final tips?
1: Yeah, come I, I want to leave you with a quote, but I also do want to acknowledge all the teachers I've learnt from, oh, and do. yeah, yoga. So uh, my teachers, of course, and colleagues: Calabrodi, Neil Goschel. Mm. Sud Sutherland Sh- big shout out to Suds because he was the only somatic practitioner that I could get my hands on literally in- <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of like each other and we work really well together
0: and you there's
1: got to be a lot of other teachers that have come before me and people that have since passed as well that I learned from and just a big shout out to people that are out there teaching and improving people's lives and whatever field they're doing as well And the quote I would want to leave you with is Feldenkrais' quote, which is, movement is life. Life is a movement, so improve the quality of that movement and improve the quality of life.
0: Oh, glorious.
2: Amazing quote. Thank you, Heidi. Thank Thank you again so
0: much. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, share it. You can subscribe to us. You can tick the little bell button so you get a notification when our next episode drops for now thank you so much for for listening and we'll be back soon
2: the The radical Radical awareness podcast